From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good Friday afternoon. Hard to believe we are already at Friday again. Hope you've had a fantastic week and welcome to this edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, the Senior Vice President here at the Family Research Council and honored to be your host on this Friday afternoon. Coming up on this edition of Washington Watch, U.S. Attorney David Weiss has been appointed as special counsel for the ongoing investigation and prosecutions related to Hunter Biden. On Tuesday of this week, Mr. Weiss advised me that in his judgment, his investigation had reached a stage at which he could, should continue his work as a special counsel, and he asked to be so appointed. Upon considering his request, as well as the extraordinary circumstances relating to this matter, I have concluded that it is in the public interest to appoint him as special counsel. Well, that was U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland earlier today. Well, there is a lot to unpack with all of that. What does all this mean for the investigation? Tons of stuff to cover there. In just a moment, I will be joined with Congressman Tim Burchett of Tennessee, who serves on the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability. And wow, our thoughts and prayers continue to be with the people of Hawaii, where wildfire, wildfires there literally are just leaving behind heartbreaking devastation. The number has been rising, and we will continue to see loss of life. But we have extraordinary professionals working on this job. We also have seen many hundreds of homes destroyed. And that's going to take a great deal of time to recover from. But that's why we come together. We come together to give comfort to people. And like I said, we will prevail. That was Hawaii Governor Josh Green yesterday with an update to the press on the wildfires. I'll be joined later on the show by Pastor Waxer Tipton of One Love Ministries, who is actually in Hawaii and he will be giving us an on-the-ground report of what's happening there. And as we discussed yesterday, FBI Director Christopher Wray has a lot of explaining to do in light of new information on the infamous memo targeting certain Catholics as potential violent extremists. This is a real problem. I mean, that's the first issue that we have to address. The director was under oath when he told us that on July 12th, so he either perjured himself or this indicates that he, he doesn't know what's going on or he's lost control of the Bureau itself. Any of those scenarios are alarming. Well, that was Judiciary Committee member Mike Johnson during an interview earlier today. And Republicans on Capitol Hill are not the only ones who are demanding answers. Nearly two dozen state attorney generals are doing so as well. And I'll be joined with one of those who is actually leading the charge. That would be Virginia Attorney General Jason Meares in just a few moments. And then there's some good news coming out of California where another school board has heeded the warning of those who know well the consequences of caving to transgender ideology and taking parents out of the picture. Parents deserve to know if their child is adopting a trans identity at school because transition is not harmless. They're kids like me getting seriously injured by this. Parents are not useless. They have the tools to work through hardships with their families, and they deserve to be given the chance. 
That was detransitioner Chloe Cole speaking at yesterday's school board meeting in Marietta, California. The school board there voted three to two to approve a policy to notify parents if their child identifies as a gender other than that which matches their biology. I will be joined by one of those school board members who voted uh, in favor of parents yesterday, a little bit later in the program. I'll also be joined by FRC's Meg Kilgannon to talk about how the left's attacks on par parental rights is really just part of a broader assault against anyone who holds conservative or Judeo-Christian values. So we've got a tremendously packed program lined up for you today. And as a reminder, you can always find this and other programs at our website, TonyPerkins.com. So be sure to keep that website handy in case you need to refer to it again. And of course, there's tons of resources also available there for you. And let me just remind you that today, again, today is the last day to be part of FRC's It Only Takes One campaign. Of course, the emphasis of that is it only takes one person to make a difference. And we're going to be talking to some of those people even this evening. It only takes one to make a difference. And so this It Only Takes One campaign is your opportunity to help make a difference by quadrupling your gift. And that is coming, becoming possible because of a generous $100,000 challenge match that's been given. So now's your opportunity to impact faith, family, and freedom. You can do so by texting the word GIVE to 67742, 67742. All right, let's jump into the program this evening. As I shared at the top of the show, U.S. Attorney uh, David Weiss is now going to serve as special counsel for the ongoing investigation and prosecutions related to Hunter Biden. The announcement was made by U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland earlier today. And it comes three days after Weiss himself asked for the appointment. Interesting. So what does that mean for the investigation? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Tim Burchett. He serves on three House committees, including the Committee on Oversight and Accountability, which is majorly involved in this whole thing. Congressman Burchett, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you for having me on, Jody, and I'll keep my comments brief. You have a packed program, and I want to make sure I can get back and watch it. Well, we appreciate that, but you've got this whole segment. By the way, uh, you were with, on with us at the beginning of this week, and now you're on with us at the end of this week, both of the topics dealing with the Hunter, in, uh, Hunter Biden investigation. So you are the bookend both at the beginning yeah. <laughs> and the ending of this week. So uh, thank you for joining us again. It's great to have you. All right, so let's just jump into this. Um, uh, the, the latest developments on this, uh, what, what do you take of the appointment of David Weiss? Well, you made an interesting analogy. I guess I'm the genesis and the revelation of this whole thing, and the revelation <laughs> kind of confuses me. I, I don't trust this bunch as far as I can throw them, uh, Jody. I've, I've analyzed this a little bit, and for for Weiss to ask if he can be it, this thing stinks. This bunch is notorious for this kind of thing. Oh, we're going to work with you. And then they they slam the door on your hand. This is, I, I feel, a, I smell a trap. Um, I know everybody else wants to be more diplomatic. I just don't trust this bunch as far as I can throw them. And I'm a little concerned about the process. I'm very much concerned about the process. Why in the world would he ask? He's delved into this. He has a history of cutting a deal with Hunter Biden. He was the prosecutor, I believe, in Delaware. 
And uh, like I said, I don't trust him as far as I can throw the dome off the Capitol. Yeah, you bring up an excellent point, Congressman. This is the same guy who in Delaware, as you mentioned, literally rolled out the sweetheart deal for Hunter Biden that was so uh, biased and in his favor that it was literally rejected by other judges. And it's interesting that that one, who basically tried to just do absolutely nothing with Hunter, is now going to be leading the special counsel here. It just sounds a little, smells a little fishy, doesn't it? It very much does. You know, this is, remember, this Biden, he comes from the Obama White House. They they weaponized their IRS against Christian organizations. They specifically went after them. They lied and said they didn't do it. Then the proof came out in testimony uh, that, in fact, actually they did do that. And this is just a a furthering of that of that of that uh, initiative. And this bunch is is shady. And you know we're looking at over twenty million dollars that we and and you know you would think they would say, hey, IRS, are y'all going to make them pay taxes on this stuff? Because you and I sell $600 worth of stuff on eBay, and we get a letter from the IRS. It's, it's, we're talking twenty over $20 million that we know about, Jody. And you know as well as I do, if Tim Burchett can find $20 million, there's probably a whole heck of a lot more. As, as, the, as I like to say, as the 435th most powerful member of Congress, um, I'm probably not <laughs> as privileged to some of that stuff as some of the, my more senior members are. But I suspect, you know, every two weeks something pops, and, you know, and the next one will be bigger. And it will be bigger. And this is what they're trying to head that off. And, and something else, I'm sorry I'm talking so much, but the, the truth is, is that when they do these investigations, uh, don't they, in fact, sometimes stop the investigations of other, uh, of say, uh, the Oversight Committee or Jim Jordan's Judiciary Committee um, and, and because they are under the auspices of a, uh, uh, of a federal investigation, so they're not allowed to, to talk on yeah. this. Am I not? Am I not correct in that assumption? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I saw it over and over and over while I was on oversight that uh, if there was an investigation, then the FBI would say we can't talk about that because it's under current investigation. So it, it's used as a smokescreen in itself to not provide any information to the oversight committee uh, or the judiciary, whichever committee is uh, investigating. It's just it's just a big circus going on. Well, let me throw this out to you, Congressman. It seems to me, and you are now on, on the oversight committee, you are on the tip of the spear of all this uh, information that's coming out and the daily uh, uh, changes that are coming about. It seems to me that this is an attempt by the FBI to try to save face and try to make it look as though they are actually going to investigate Hunter Biden. Uh, but here we're come, they appoint a guy who is nothing but offering sweetheart deals to Hunter, just trying to sweep this under the rug. It's going to take a whole lot more than David Weiss to restore trust in the DOJ and the FBI. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. And you know what? Who- I hate it for our country, but I hate it for those those incredibly patriotic um, Department of Justice folks and FBI agents, the rank and file. Many of them are veterans, and they serve this country, and they still serve this country admirably. And and they just shake their head in disgust. And the retire. I've talked to many of the retirees in in in, in East Tennessee, and they just can't believe what has happened to their to their once proud FBI. Yeah, and. He- 
here's another example. I'm sure you, you're right in the middle of this one, too. The FBI, the Richmond Field Office, and, and their, uh, the leaked memo that now has become public, and the whistleblower coming public, uh, that the FBI is targeting, has been targeting uh, Catholics and referring to them as, uh, as domestic terrorists. I don't know if you saw the uh, interview with uh, uh, Ducey asking President Biden a question. I just want to throw this up. Uh, if you will, let's play uh, clip 11. I want to get your quick response to this. There's this testimony now where one of your son's former business associates is claiming that you were on speakerphone a lot with them, talking business. Is that what? I never talked business in anybody. And I, I know you'd have a lousy question. Well, what do you, it's, why is that a lousy question? Because it's not true. Okay, that was a lousy question to ask about what you guys are yeah. dealing with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. That was, that, that was a question we didn't prepare for you, and he's thinking, Dad gum, I shouldn't let him cop, jump. He jumped over a little fence to get there. I thought that was a pretty good hurdle on his part. But yeah, he had that deer in the headlights look, and he thought, oh, I'll, I'll answer this question. And then he, he had a tough question, and he just walked away. I knew you'd ask a terrible question, and then walks away. Would you ever see Ronald Reagan do something like that? I mean, you wouldn't see Trump. He would have. He would have laid, laid him out right there. You know, and it just it's it's just a disgrace, really. This this whole administration is is they are falling by the wayside. And I'll make a prediction. You're going to see the governor of California or the um, unappointed um, Five czar, uh, 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 the unappointed environmental czar, be the candidate for for president, Democrat Party. They're going to start jumping ship. They all smell a rat. Congressman Burchett, we got to leave it right there. Thank you for joining us, friends. Coming up right after the break, we're headed to Hawaii to bring you the latest as to what's happening there. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be disciples their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. 
Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. An honor to be with you, and thank you for joining us. All right, over the past several days, the country literally has watched with great sadness as wildfires have literally been ravaging Hawaii. The death toll on Maui now is over 55, and unfortunately, that number is expected to rise significantly. Yesterday, President Biden approved a disaster declaration for the state to assist with ongoing disaster response and relief. And quite frankly, while the left may cringe to hear me say this, Hawaii desperately needs our prayers as well as our actions right now. Well, joining me now with an on-the-ground view of what's happening on the islands is Pastor Waxer Tipton, who is the preaching and vision pastor at One Love Ministries there in Hawaii. Pastor Tipton, Welcome to Washington Watch. Sorry it's under these circumstances, but thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you very much for letting me be here with you today. Well, listen, I I know that I don't speak just for myself, but literally millions of people here in the mainland who convey to you and the people of Hawaii our deep condolences and our prayers for your state. And I just... um, don't even have words to adequately express that. But how are you? How are your church members? And how are things going right now? Well, first of all, let me state that our church is on Oahu. So all of you know, as you visit the islands, you know quite a, quite a difference between each of the islands. Um, and so I've been trying to just to give you an insight of the the difficulties and how broad this devastation is that the media is nowhere near. And I'm not exactly sure why it might be editing it for whatever purposes that might be above my pay grade. Um, But we can't even communicate with the pastors on the ground there. I was trying to get two of my pastor buddies that are on Maui to answer you at this time and share. I was able to get through on a phone call uh, with one of them, but we are constantly getting the reports of those um, that are on the ground, people from our own church that moved over to Maui and that were able to survive this. But the devastation is far greater. The descriptions that we are being given is nothing short of Hiroshima. And um, the fact that that death toll, I don't know where they're coming up with that number. 
Um, just to give you a few things to keep it on the non-grotesque, but the guesstimate right now for those that are on the ground is about 800 and including to be more. Uh, we had sent some boats over with fuel, which I'll mention is some of the things for us to pray about, but they have no gas to get out of even the area, those who did survive. And uh, so we sent boats over and they mentioned that it was like the Titanic as far as with bodies in the water and trying to get through and were even turned away excuse me, turned away at the harbor. So it is devastation beyond compare. Well, and uh, some of the things that you were describing, of course, knowing that you were, were one of the other pastors was coming on with us tonight, we were following you and your movements and your activity and keenly aware of the difficulty in communicating with some of the other pastors. And, and I had read also that the 55 so far that have been found have been found out in the woods. They have not even started looking in the debris of buildings and that type of thing. So your estimates, I think, are probably, unfortunately, going to be very uh, much more accurate to the to reality. All right, so you've described right. a little bit of what you're seeing on the ground. There's no way to have devastation with like this without there being obstacles in the way with rescue attempts and communication and so forth. What are some of the obstacles that you're experiencing? Thank you. That's a, a great question. The number one problem right now is communication. So all cell towers went down. They were burnt in the process. So literally, as I said, people on Maui can't even get a hold of each other via cell phone to find if they're alive or not. The organizations like FEMA or Red Cross cannot communicate. So how do people even know if water trucks are coming in or gas trucks, these types of things? Because there's no, usually say turn to the radio. They can't get these things and it's not functioning. So that's the biggest problem right now is the air of communication for everyone, the families, as well as the organizations that want to do relief. The second problem is access. Because of the fire being so close to its, its, its peak that they are not allowing anyone in or out. Um, and so that literally just opened about 20 minutes before I came on air with you. And even then, those who do leave must be able to show they have a license that shows that they live in that area to be returning. But people who even did have cars were able to go out. They wouldn't leave because they wouldn't be able to come back in order to get food or supplies. So the access has been shut down just because the roads themselves, as I said, have bodies um, and debris everywhere from the fire. Um, and so they're very much on a lockdown uh, right now. But that just opened up, praise God. And so people are little, little by little being allowed to go out. But as I mentioned, the third problem is fuel. Um, as you may see later in the pictures, you will see gridlock. If you can imagine knowing these fires are coming, people jumped in their cars, loaded everything in their cars to get out of town. And as they did, the gridlock hit the fire because those winds, which I'm sure you heard about, were so fast. It came down and closed those cars and people had to run from their lives from those cars into the water to save themselves. So everything in their house as well as in their car uh, was destroyed. And what is so amazing um, is the fact that the fire, the wind was blowing to the water, that, that windy water going that direction, that it was those in the water still had to swim out because the heat and the fire was blowing upon them. And that's why they found so many people passed away, even in the water, whether they didn't know how to swim or not. So we've had the lifeguard, I mean, the Coast Guard and others going through and picking up folks that are there. But it, it's definitely the time right now is 
the church to mobilize. Um, as soon as we heard about it, we started to make our church a sanctuary so that families and all the tourists, we have 4,000 tourists there that there's not even enough food and supplies for all of the locals there. So we were setting up stations so that as they flew here in order to get connecting flights home, but thankfully our governor stepped in and, and opened up the convention center. So that is there. And so families are able to come there and, and have some place to stay in the meantime. And so what's happening here is the churches are rallying together with food and water and supplies and especially fuel and trying to reach that. But the main situation, the, the main need, Congressman, is going to be actually resources and getting those resources to the churches, to the pastors, because even if you're in a shelter and you ran for your life, you don't even have a blanket, much less an air mattress of some kind. Many of them don't even have their IDs because it happened so fast. Pastor Tipton, thank you so much for this incredible update that you've given us. We're going to have to leave it there, but I want to give you encouragement to know that we and all our family here at FRC and millions of others are praying for you and helping in every way that we can. I want to thank you for joining us on Washington Watch, and God bless you. Uh, Keep the torch ablaze, my friend. God bless you. All right, folks, coming up, we're going to revisit the infamous FBI memo that's targeting Catholics as potential extreme violent extremists. Stay tuned. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, and it is indeed a great privilege to have you joining us this evening. All right, as we highlighted yesterday, members of the House Judiciary Committee are demanding answers from FBI Director Christopher Wray after a new document has been released to them that showed that the infamous leaked memo targeting Catholics as potential violent extremists 
was not the product of a single FBI field office, which is what the director claimed in sworn testimony last month. FBI Portland was involved. FBI Los Angeles was involved. So it wasn't just one off. It wasn't just Richmond. It was broader than that. This is scary, but now it's becoming a pattern with the FBI. They tell us one thing that turns out not to be so accurate when we finally get the documents. Well, that was Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan on Fox's Hannity on Wednesday night. Well, members on, on Capitol Hill are not the only ones who are looking for answers and demanding some explanations. State attorney generals from nearly two dozen states have also been demanding answers, and the one leading that charge joins me now. Here to discuss this is Jason Meares, attorney general for the state of Virginia, from where the memo actually was leaked. Attorney General, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Great to join you and, and honored to talk about this important topic. It really is an important topic. And uh, yeah, it's, it's worth noting as we begin this discussion that this new document is a version of the memo with fewer redactions than the, the previous two. But, but this comes after two months of repeated request from the Judiciary Committee, and right. it comes just days before the August recess. So, you know, what do you think about the level of transparency that we're seeing from the FBI? Well, I think that's the big frustration is the lack of transparency. And I can think of few things more un-American than having your own government label you as a violent extremist just because of there is a, a particular manner in how you choose to worship. Um, and this is very, very personal for me for two reasons. Number one, Virginia itself is the birthplace of the Virginia Statue of Religious Freedom, uh, which you know is one of the underpinnings of our later, our First Amendment. It was championed by Thomas Jefferson, carried in the Virginia General Assembly by James Madison, and really understands one of the founding principles of this of our nation is the idea that the state is not going to try to intimidate or impede your ability to worship God according to dictates of your conscience. And the second is, you know, from a personal perspective, uh, you know, my mother fled communist Cuba when she was a scared 19-year-old penniless and homeless teenager. She literally didn't know where her next meal was going to come from. And she shared with me stories herself of when, uh, well, after the communists took over in Cuba, when she would try to attend mass, the, the communists would set up speakers and bullhorns outside of where she was attending mass spouting communist propaganda, saying that religion was the opiate of the masses and and uh, looking upon suspicion, anybody that would dare uh, decide to to worship, um, worship in their faith. And so that is one of the hallmarks of why my own family came to this country. The idea that you should be able to worship in your place of worship and not look over your shoulder in fear. And I have heard directly from Catholics in Virginia that have approached me uh, both just out when I'm out at the store or at an event saying, you know, they sit there and they look over their shoulder sometimes and they're sitting in the pew wondering, do I know that person? Is he possibly with the federal government trying to keep tabs and who's coming in and out? And so that can have an absolutely chilling effect on what should be one of our basics rights, which is it, uh, the individual's ability to go worship uh, as they see fit. And the idea of saying, you know, some people may want to celebrate mass or pray in Latin or another vernacular language, 
and somehow they're going to be uh, targeted by the federal government, that's chilling. And so what we've asked from the beginning is answers. And it has been frustrating for me to see how long it has been to get answers. From the very beginning, we led uh, the charge with other, some of my uh, fellow um, like-minded state attorney generals asking for answers. We applaud the fact of, of Chairman Jordan for getting what we candidly somewhat suspected that this was not just um, uh, located in Richmond. This actually was much wider, as as you've noted, in, in both Portland and Los Angeles. And so it really, really goes to the heart that there has to be serious reforms at the FBI dealing with both transparency and accountability, because unfortunately, we feel like that's not happening right now. It seems like it's falling on deaf ears. Well, listen, given your background, I'm really glad and, and I have a greater understanding why you are leading the charge on this. The fact that this is coming out of Virginia, the Richmond office there, has got to be troubling to you. Uh, and as a result, as you mentioned, you you are leading the charge with many other attorneys generals demanding explanations, demanding answers to all of this. What sort of responses have you been getting to this point? Not much. I mean, to be candid with you, uh, I will tell you this. One of the most chilling things for me as somebody who's who is a former prosecutor and I work very closely with law, with, uh, law enforcement is in the memo, the Catholic memo that got leaked. And again, to remind your listeners and your viewers, this was leaked by a whistleblower. We wouldn't even know this was happening. Uh, was when they talked about developing sources with access. And that's that's a law enforcement phrase, essentially about planning sources um, within side churches to basically spy on their fellow parishioners. I mean, think about what oh, the We've got about 30 seconds. Oh, we've sorry. So that, and then, and then that, that by far, but we haven't gotten the responses that we want. We're hoping that Congress will reform it. We're having additional communication as well. But it's very frustrated what the lack of response we're getting on something that goes to the heart of religious liberty in this country. Well, it's frustrating to all of us, and we're grateful that people like you are standing in the gap trying to get some answers and to make a difference. Attorney General Jason Meares from Virginia, thank you so much for joining us. God bless All right, friends, Thanks coming so up next, uh, we've seen the FBI's uh, the issues going on. Well, it's part of a larger problem at the DOJ. We're going to unpack much more of this after the break. Stay tuned. Much more headed your way. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742 and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. FRC, celebrating 40 years with Congressman Mike Johnson. We just want to say to the staff and everyone who works in and around FRC, keep doing what you do. It's, it's an invaluable resource to us on Capitol Hill and, and, and to many of us more than you know individually and personally. Um, so it's a comfort to us to know that you're in the battle. We're all in it together, and uh, we're really, really grateful you're there. Thank you, Congressman Mike Johnson, a great friend, a great leader on Capitol Hill, former attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom, and he stands strongly on Capitol Hill for the values that we cherish so much. So thank you for those kind words. And I just want to say to each of you that it is our hope that you'll be able to come join us as we celebrate 40 years at FRC. We're going to be gathering together September 15th through 17th in Washington, D.C., at this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. And we invite you to come join us as we continue standing for faith, family, and freedom. Registration is open now. And I know you're asking where you can find it. You can simply go to prayvotestand.org for details and how to register. Again, that's prayvotestand.org. All right, let's shift gears now and go to California. Last night, another school board in California voted to approve a policy to notify parents if their child identifies as a gender other than that which matches their biology. The Board of Education for Marietta Valley Unified School District in California voted three to two to approve that policy based on uh, the one that was adopted last month by the Chino Valley Unified School District. 
And here to tell us more about it is one of those board members himself there at the Marietta School Board. He's the trustee, Nick Pardue, who was one of the three who voted for the policy last night. Trustee Pardue, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, thank you for having me. Well, it's our pleasure indeed. Uh, let's just begin uh, starting off uh, by sharing what led you and the school board there to yesterday's vote. What were the circumstances that brought you to this point? Well, I think the main thing is a concern of the parents in our community and really across uh, California about what's happening inside the classroom. And we've had a number of, I've been reached out by counselors and some staff members as well as parents that were just concerned that there was a lack of transparency about um, what was going on with uh, individual students, with their own students. Um, and even since the vote, I've had quite a few emails uh, thanking me uh, for uh, for the board doing what we're doing and, and being a strong voice for reestablishing a relationship between the teachers and the parents in our community. Well, we've had some of the uh, folks from the Chino Valley uh, School District be join us on Washington Watch as well. And man, the, the pressure that they have been under, the threats, the uh, for both from the government, the governor there, uh, and as well as just uh, threats, it takes courage to do what you and the others did last night. And so hats off to you. Thank you. I want you to know you're not just standing for the parents there in Marietta, uh, California, but across the country, you're taking a bold stance and you're to be commended for that. What were some of the remarks that you heard during the public comment period that stuck out to you the most? Oh, well, the all the remarks were pretty powerful, but one of the things that stood out to me, and I, and I mentioned it in my comment, was uh, a detransitioned uh, uh, student that was, uh, Oh, Chloe, uh, Chloe Cole, I think it was her name. Chloe Cole, yes, uh -huh, that's right. She had said, um, asked, where, where are the adults? And that was something that really stuck in my heart because we all know that teenagers make bad choices and it is up to us as adults and um, to really help them make better choices. And teenagers are notorious for making bad decisions and... Um, I think having the guidance of parents is important. And one of the things that was really uh, evident was critics kind of assume, especially the Christian, the, the anti-Christian rhetoric is really intense, but they assume that Christian parents aren't gonna love their children um, if they're struggling with gender identities uh, issues. And uh, they talk about um, the suicide rates, but in my humble opinion, Having a good, strong relationship with your parents is really the step towards uh, making sure that the children are safe. And uh, I think knowing that they're getting a loving response from their parents is is really a game changer. And having those strong relationships is really important for all teenagers. And maybe it just becomes a wake-up call and an opportunity for that family to grow. Great point. All right, well, tell us more about the policy itself that was adopted. What does it do? Right, so if a student um, decides they want to change their name uh, officially, uh, the school needs to notify their parents. Um, if they decide to use 
uh, a different gender uh, bathroom or uh, participate in a in a in a different team, um, then that uh, would make the school responsible to notify the parent just in case they didn't know. Most of the time with high school kids, the parents already know. They're pretty aware. Um, I think this policy is especially helpful for the younger kids who start dabbling with this. Um, and that's become a fad uh, and a little bit more of more popular. And it, I think it's because there are some activist teachers that push this agenda. And, you know, kids uh, really can develop a good bond with their teacher. And if they know that that's what the teacher is kind of looking for, they might move in that direction. And so I think it's important that there was a Chico uh, case, um, Chico Unified case, where a parent was concerned. Uh, we've had a number of parents um, that I've talked to. Uh, one student in particular said they didn't want to go to junior high because they were worried about uh, the pressures of some of the um, the gender uh, issues that are happening on campus. So I think it's important that there's some dialogue and there's a little bit more understanding between both the teachers and parents and that we make sure that kids who are thinking about it um, um, are, are identified so that the parents can intervene. Absolutely. Well, no one loves parent, loves children like a parent does. Always has been that way, always will that be that way, and government simply cannot fill the gap of a parent. So I, I know we we need to uh, transition on. I've got another guest I wanna to get to, but when you consider all the other things that parents are notified about, what you have just put forth is just common sense, isn't it? I mean, just letting parents know. Yeah, I'm really expecting the parents in California to start waking up, and I really think the voters, I'm hopeful, are too. I. I I fully expect to see more school districts following suit uh, or, and following our lead, or actually, I should say Chino Hills lead. Sonia's done a great job there. And um, I, I think it's a mistake for the state of California to be attacking parental rights. Uh, those are strong constitutional rights. And uh, I think more people need to stand up for their rights in California. And I'm hopeful that's what happens. Well, thank you, Board Trustee Nick Pardue, for joining us, and uh, you and Sonia and a host of others there. You're standing strong, you're standing firm, and we're deeply grateful. Thank you for joining me this evening on Washington Watch. All right, folks, I want to continue this discussion uh, as we look more, I suppose, at the bigger picture of it all. The left's attacks on parental rights is really part of a broader assault. It's an assault against anyone who holds conservative or Judeo-Christian values. The left believes, quite frankly, that conservative Christians are not fit for political office. Uh, for goodness sakes, for that matter, they don't even believe we're fit to be parents. And we need to push back on all of this. Just as we saw in Marietta, uh, there in, in California with Nick Pardue, every single person matters. Every parent matters in this particular fight that we're involved with. And, and the left wants believers to stay on the sidelines. They, they want you to think that you really don't matter. But history shows that it only takes one person to spark an enormous change, a movement. Well, joining me now to unpack this some more is Meg Kilgannon. She's FRC's Senior Fellow for Education Studies. She served in the U.S. Department of Education under the Trump administration. Meg, thank you so much for joining me again today. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me, Jody. 
It's always a privilege. All right, let's, uh, first of all, let me get your thoughts on what we just saw coming out of Marietta, California, as well as Chino Valley. It's good news. Well, just, you know, big thank you to Mr. Pardue for running for office. You know, he is an example of the one person that that vote was a three to two vote. And so if he hadn't been on that school board, it might not have gone that way. And so parents all across the country owe a debt of gratitude to people like like Mr. Pardue, who are, is willing to to stand in the gap for our kids. Um, it, Absolutely. It is really really wonderful to see and we're we we're really grateful you know and you bring up a great point meg because as, as people like nick pardue and uh, sonia we're seeing people step up to the plate all across the country right now particularly it seems like school boards uh we're seeing a school board step up for parental rights they're being threatened across the country but they're stepping up to the plate and and it's not just school boards though it's across the board i know there's a story right now i saw i think you're familiar with it of a couple in massachusetts a catholic couple who have been banned from adopting children because of their religious faith can you bring us up to speed on that case you wonder if the cap if if the boston foster care system is in collusion with the fbi agents who are um investigating catholic churches i don't know <laughs> i mean it's <laughs> not just it's fair. To invent That's another fair. conspiracy theory live on the air but it's it's it seems like a theme doesn't it that um it you know christians just aren't fit for public life apparently um, were the first to be shut down during the pandemic. And um, this couple, who is a lovely couple, the, 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 the husband has served uh, our country overseas in the military. His wife is a um, special needs um, teacher. So she is, you know, very capable of dealing with the challenges that, that foster children often bring with them into the, the homes who foster them. And they have a loving home. They're, um, it seemed like from what I read, they may be unable to have their own children. And so they are opening their hearts to the possibility of um, being a foster parent. And that is such a generous and, and good thing to do. And they are one couple, just one couple who is trying to make a difference in their community, right? And so for the for the state of Massachusetts to not want to use their help when they have thousands of children who need homes in the foster care system in Massachusetts. The system is in such crisis that they're housing these children in hospitals at times because they don't have enough homes for the foster children who are in need. Um, it, it really, it beggars belief that a Christian couple would not be allowed to be a foster parent because of their views on marriage and human sexuality, which are probably not even going to be an issue with the child that they receive from it or that they serve in the foster care community. So this, you know, parents being shut out in the school system and now parents being shut out of the foster care system, that this is a time for Christians to insert themselves into the process rather than shrinking back. And I'm well, grateful absolutely. that this couple is suing. I, I am too, and you bring up a good point. I mean, it's it's across the board. I mean, we're watching the the baker, the you know, I, Jack Phillips comes to mind, uh, Lori Smith. Uh, we're watching all across the country where people who have 
a Judeo-Christian foundation are being canceled, uh, being pushed out of society, marginalized, uh, and yet as we push back, we usually win as we push out. And it, it only takes, as you've brought up a couple of times, one person. I think that's a that's a great thing, and it it fits perfectly with what we were talking about a little while ago with the the one person campaign that actually is happening here at FRC. But we've got about a minute or so left, Meg. Why don't you just jump on that? The importance of one person. You talked about uh, Nick the the vote three to two last night. Just kind right. of give us a moment about that. Well. So often in in the world, it is the they always say the first people through the wall are bloodied, right? <laughs> when you're the first one to do something, and sometimes you are the only one, you're you're the first one to do it, and it's a hard thing to do. But when you make that hole in the wall, other people follow you through that hole in the wall, and so you it is just one person maybe that makes that first step, but you are going to be supported by a, a bunch of other people behind you who will. Courage is contagious and they will follow your lead. So our listeners are such wonderful prayer warriors and, and activists. And, and I hope that that everyone is considering, uh, is praying for our schools. It's back to school season, but also praying about what they can do in their community to support the schools and to, to engage on the behalf of children who need, they need our Christian witness more than ever before. Absolutely. Well, Meg Kilgannon, I want to thank you for coming on the program this evening and uh, the incredible work you do and the knowledge, the input that you bring to the program every time you're on. God bless you, and thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you, Joni. All right, friends. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of Washington Watch. And let me just leave you with this. It does only take one person to make a difference. As a Christian, we're called to be salt and light. Wherever we are in the world, salt and light. And we are blessed doubly to be here in America where our system doesn't work without involvement of the people. The people. It only takes one to step up and get involved. Let me close you with FRC's campaign. It only takes one. You can make a difference for faith, family, and freedom by going right now and texting GIVE to 67742. Have a great weekend. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.